through 24 is where we're gonna be. We're gonna be finishing up our series that we started a handful of weeks ago called Where Do We Go From Here? I think I said we were finishing it last week and I forgot that we weren't. We're finishing it this week, so I lied. Welcome to church. Luke 24, uh, Jesus is raised from the dead and we're gonna start right off with a story from Jesus. Luke 24, uh, verse 44. There's no projector, so you really have to pull out your Bible today. <laughs> Luke 24, 44, it says, Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus, we ask that you would open up our minds this morning to understand the scriptures. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Was anybody here for Easter last week when we celebrated that part? Yes, uh, Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins, anybody thankful for that, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Do you know Jesus loves everybody? Amen. We could just go with that for a while, but we're gonna keep going. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things and behold, Jesus says, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power. Somebody say power, power from on high. Until you are clothed with power from on high. We're finishing our Where Do We Go From Here series, talking about where do we go from here when we see the empty grave, when we see this risen Jesus. This means that nothing can be the same. If this is true, which we've been talking about, how this isn't just some fantasy that us Christians believe, but this is a reality that Jesus was a man who lived, who predicted his death and his resurrection and then pulled it off. And so he must be who he says he is. He is the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. Where do we go from here when we see this Jesus? And uh, I want to finish our, our series with a message just simply titled, make sure you have your notes out. We also believe in taking notes. Uh, so you can write, where do we go from here at the top of your page? The last part of this series is just simply titled, Everywhere. Everywhere. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm coming for you. <laughs> we go everywhere. And I know Easter was last week and all of that, but my favorite part about the Easter story is that it isn't over. My favorite part about the Easter story is that it is not over. I love that part. We've been talking the last few weeks about how amazing it is that Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection and he pulled it off. But before he was ever going to the cross, when he was telling his disciples about what was about to happen, he was telling them, I'm about to die. I'm going to raise on the third day. When he was telling his disciples this, he said this other phrase after predicting his death and after predicting his resurrection. He said, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Which means that from the beginning, before it all even happened, the resurrection was never supposed to be the end. Like there was always supposed to be more after that. After all the Easter stuff happened, there was supposed to be a rendezvous in Galilee because this thing, this story, this isn't over. And I, and I know it sounds kind of silly sometimes, but I think sometimes in church and us believers and Christians, like we, we need to be reminded that like the Bible didn't end after Jesus raised from the dead. It didn't say the end. Let's all go home and let's do church until we get to heaven someday. There's like a lot more. There's a lot more after that. Things were just getting started last week when Jesus came out of that grave. 
I know one of the most important things that Jesus ever said is what we in church now know as the Great Commission. If you've ever grown up in church and been around, I'm sure you've heard this before. It's kind of like the mission statement of the people of God that Jesus gave us before he ascended to be with the Father is in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, which we've got a lot of verses today because we were planning on having them on a screen, but it ain't happening. So we're going to go old school with finger flipping. Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the great commission, the mission statement of the church. Like people, we've, we've come up with all sorts of alliteration to say it's Jesus' last commandment. And so it's our first priority. And this is like, this is our thing, you know, like this is it. And it didn't get said till after Easter. Like it was, it got initiated after the resurrection. Like it's just getting started. Easter is a starting line. It's not a finish line. I know that a huge part of my own journey in walking with Jesus was when things started to click for me, that salvation isn't just about a destination, but it's an invitation. We say that a lot around here. Salvation isn't just a destination, it's an invitation. I grew up in church with an amazing family. My parents were a part of this church, and y'all love them a lot. Yeah. <laughs> They're amazing, and uh, they followed God, and, and I growing up, you know, I sort of had a heart to live for God, but mainly was distracted. Anybody ever else been distracted? <laughs> mainly distracted, mainly disinterested. But I remember at about 20 years old, things started to come together. I was around people for the first time in my life that at least it was clicking for me that were my age and like really trying to walk with Jesus. That was new for me. I'd seen kind of grown-ups walk with Jesus, but not really people my age. They were, they were following him. And, and as I started to read the Bible for, for myself and, and ask God to teach me who he is and what he does and all these sort of things, I began to see that I began to see many things in the Bible for the very first time that were shocking that they had actually been there the whole time. Like I grew up in a Christian school, so I had read the Bible before and I was reading things I had read before and realized there was things there that I had never seen, even though they had been there. You ever had that happen when you read the Bible? You're like, really? That's been there the whole time? That helps. What has always been true started to make sense to me for the very first time, that God didn't just save me from my sin to get me to heaven someday, but salvation is an invitation to live the kingdom of heaven right now. And it changed everything for me. This isn't just a destination. Jesus didn't just forgive your sins so that you could show up to heaven someday when you die. He wants heaven into you right now. My answer to the question growing up to where do we go from here after all the Easter's I had celebrated, about 20 at that point, my answer to that question when faced with the truth of Jesus had, had just kind of simply been, well, where do we go from here? I, we just kind of go to heaven when we die. And in the meantime, I guess we sort of try to be better than other people or something. I don't know. Like vote a certain way. <laughs> and yes, praise God that we do get to go to heaven someday. I'm not going to talk about your voting. Don't worry. We're not going. That's not what this is about. We do get to go to heaven someday. And I'm really thankful for that. We'll do an altar call at the end and everybody can get saved. But when Jesus was ending his time 
here on earth, spending his last few minutes with his disciples, passing on this message of the kingdom of God to a small group of human beings that were going to take this apparently to the whole world for all of time. His instruction was not, okay, guys, you got it. Hold on tight because we're just going to try to grip onto this thing until you die and finally get to heaven. So just like sit tight and hold on. Instead, he clarified for them what had always been God's plan, what had always been the mission. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. He, he started re-saying re, re things he had been saying the whole time. And again, it started to make sense. This is what he meant when he said, as you go, proclaim. This kingdom of heaven is not just for when you die. It's at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, this is for everyone. This has to go everywhere. This changes everything. And Luke, in his account in chapter 24, when he gives us kind of the, the last words that he recorded of Jesus in Luke 24, he, he echoes these last words when he was also penning the book of Acts. Luke and Acts are kind of a prequel and a sequel to each other. And he ends Luke 24 with what we read earlier when Jesus was saying this message has got to go to everywhere. And you're going to be, uh, I'm going to send you the promise of the Father. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and 8, he kind of echoes this same thing. Uh, Jesus' last words again when he says, And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he said this about this coming of the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to go everywhere. We're going everywhere. Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. You've been hearing me tell you, John baptized with water, but I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to cover you in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you're going to have a power that you've never had before. Now, before you check out of this message, because you're like, oh, great, we all need to be missionaries and evangelizers. And that's not me. That's not my gift and all of that. I just want you to hold tight. Like, don't check out yet. Like, this isn't just a message for those people. You know, the superstar Christian that's in your head that you aren't. This message is, this message is not for those people. I want to make sure that you hear me loud and clear and understand this morning that going everywhere really isn't about going where you aren't. It's actually about going everywhere you already are. The promise of the Father. Jesus says, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, you haven't even received the promise yet. Oh, just wait. I'm about to send you the promise of the Father. It kind of makes me wonder, like, what's all this other stuff? This is awesome. The promise of the Father. It means this. The promise of the Father isn't only the forgiveness of sins and going to heaven when you die. The promise of the Father is that God wants to fill you with himself so you can bring his kingdom with the life that he has now given you. This is the promise of the Father. And I want to talk about the promise of the Father this morning. I want to talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, covered in the promise of heaven, the power of God. I want to tell you three different things that, that, that are encompassed in the promise of the Father. 
The promise of the Father. By the Holy Spirit, God promises you, number one, his presence. I've got good news for you all this morning, and I need it too. So can I just preach to myself and y'all can catch the rest? By the power of the Holy Spirit, God promises you his presence. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I will send him to you. It is better for us to have God in us by the Spirit than with us in the flesh. That verse trips me out. Jesus, God in the flesh. Trust me, guys, it's better when I leave. We've been waiting this whole time for you to show up, and you're finally here, and you were now public for three years, and then you die and resurrect, and that was crazy, and after the resurrection, you're only here for 50 more days, and then you're gone, and that's better? We haven't even gotten the promise yet? It's better for you to have God in you by the Spirit than even have Jesus with you in the flesh. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, like we read, uh, the Great Commission, Jesus finishes it. He says, I am with you always. I am with you. John 15, Jesus talks about the life that we are saved into to, uh, by, by this grace that he has given us is, is a life, the word he uses, abiding. Abiding, he compares our relationship now with God to the relationship that a branch has with a vine. That, that's not just like go to church on Sundays. Branches don't just connect to vines on Sundays. This news is so good that you get to be with God always, that God is with you always, that the life that flows through you is because of a connection with God. You are abiding together. We can live connected with God. See, Jesus completely redefined religion. He totally changed the game on this whole thing. Religion had always been about doing some, living your life for God. Right? Like, that's what religion is all about. Do this and do that. And you have this responsibility before God to live your life for God. But Jesus changed it. And, and now he defines religion not as living your life for God, but living your life with God. I want you to know this morning that anything God wants you to do for him, he wants you to do with him. This changes everything. Because he's promised you his presence by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God promises you his voice. God promises you his voice. I don't know about you, but I've kind of had thoughts and said things times like, man, it sure would have been nice to have been alive back then because at least I could have seen Jesus and heard it straight from his mouth. And then that, like, there's just so much faith now. And like, I, I could see things. I could see him raise the dead. And I could see all of these things. We're like, gosh, it sure would be convenient if like I maybe had to have surgery and went under anesthesia and heard the audible voice of God <laughs> landing. I've heard about other people hearing the audible voice of God and it's like, sweet, good for you. Like, it's, like a, it's like you get a head start on this whole thing, you know? But most of the stories in the Bible are God speaking to people by the Holy Spirit. Most of the stories in the Bible, when God speaks, it's not Jesus talking to people. There's a lot of that, but there's like four books, and some of the stories are the same. There's a whole lot of other stuff in this Bible. God's speaking to people, 
and they didn't hear straight from God in the flesh. There's a lot of stories in here where people heard from God and, and it wasn't by the audible voice. It was by the Holy Spirit. God speaks. God has always been speaking. And God is speaking right now by the Holy Spirit and he has promised you his voice. Most people who have followed God throughout all of history haven't heard from God audibly or from Jesus' mouth. They've heard from God by the Holy Spirit. In fact, some of you are looking at me like, no, I, I know some people heard from God from Jesus. Some people heard the audible I'm all in for that. I'm just trying to make a point here that we're not at a disadvantage. Because God has promised you his voice by the Holy Spirit. The same voice that's been speaking to people from the beginning of time is speaking to you today. John 10, Jesus said that he's like our shepherd and we're like his sheep. And he made this statement, my sheep know my voice. Definitive. My sheep know my voice. John 14, just a few chapters later, Jesus is speaking again, and he tells us that the Holy Spirit will teach us, and he will help us remember and understand what it is that Jesus has already said to us. In John 16, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would guide us into truth, that he would speak to us and lead us. See, you know the voice of God. You know the voice of God. And the way that I know you know the voice of God is because Jesus said you know the voice of God. You are my sheep, and my sheep know my voice. You know the voice of God. You may not know that you know the voice of God, but you do. And hearing God is not about getting God to speak to us. Hearing God, the discipline of hearing God, the experience of hearing God speak to us is more about tuning our own hearts and our own ears to hear what he's already speaking. Jesus is alive. Jesus is speaking. And we can hear him by the Holy Spirit. And the good news about hearing God speak is that you can know you're hearing God speak when it sounds like God. We can get so scared. What if I hear it wrong? How do I know if it's right and all that kind of stuff? Like, it's gonna sound like God. And the good thing is none of us are doing this alone. So if, like, when I get something a little off or whatever, it doesn't sound like God, then that's straightening me out. That's not straightening God out, Right? See, there's this concept that's like really big and theological and all that stuff, like the Trinity, how God is one, but he's three. He's three, but he's one. And it's like, yeah, it's like water and ice and steam and you know, all these things. And it's like, ah, it's kind of hard to grab, <laughs> grasp, like for our minds to grasp. But actually, this, the voice of God, really helps me understand the value and the reality of the Trinity. Like, because when I speak to you, like, I have to say something. I have to say some words, and I have to have a voice to carry it, right? And the Father is speaking to us. Jesus said, I am the Word become flesh, and the Holy Spirit is the voice. God's not going to con contradict himself. When God speaks, he's going to sound like God. And since he's all the same, he's going to say what he's already said. That's why Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, he's going to remind you what I've said. And, God, and Jesus said, I just say what I hear the Father speaking. You got it. <laughs> By the Holy Spirit, you can hear the voice of God. Number three, by the Holy Spirit, God promises you his power. God promises you his power. I want you to know this morning that you can bring the kingdom of God in your everywhere. In your everywhere, your marriage, your friendships, your relationships, your workplace, your ideas, your creativity, your passions, your influence, your money, your projects, your errands, your everywhere. God said, I'm gonna clothe you with power. 
just cover you in it, fill you with it, clothe you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know this morning that power, the power of God isn't just miracles and abstract sounding spiritual stuff. Though we believe in it, we believe that God heals pneumonia eight months too soon. We believe that God heals cancer when it takes over a body. We believe that God does miracles today. We see him all the time, and I want to see a whole lot more. We pray every week that God, everybody who comes into our, into our church from our city, I pray that every disease would be healed, every sickness would leave. I pray that this building becomes a place that our city knows about. It's like, hey, if you just walk in there, you don't even have to believe this stuff. They do. So we are in for that. And I believe God has clothed us, each one of us individually, and us together as his people with power to bring the kingdom of God everywhere. But it's not just the miracles. It's not just the abstract sounding stuff. I'm really thankful for the Bible. I'm really thankful that God really clearly tells us what the power of God looks like when he clothes us with it and begins to work through our lives through his power by the Holy Spirit. Number one, he tells, you, he tells us that when the power of God is working through you, it's gonna look like the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter five, oh, this one's a hard to find quick. The gospel ones are easy, right? You know, Galatians, is anybody, okay, there we go, yes. Like Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, they all run together sometimes. I never know which one's in what order. I know I'm a pastor. I shouldn't tell you that stuff, but (laughs) table of contents, anybody? Thank you, Lord. Galatians chapter five, uh, verse, where does it start? 22. The Bible says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I read that list and call that the manifestation of the power of God at risk of that getting written off as like sounding really cute and churchy. Like, oh, it's so precious. Oh, love and joy and peace and patience. Like, oh, good for those people who have nothing going on in their life. <laughs> but I want to ask you, how much of the opposite of all of these things is so present in the world that we're living in right now? Like, let's go through the antonym list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you tell me if this sounds familiar and like it might be a presence of a few of these things in your life in a significant way that feels like you have to push against it sometimes. And sometimes you get tired because it's hard because these things are strong. I'm just going to throw them out there. Hate, depression, unrest, frustration, rudeness, immorality, infidelity, harshness, and unconstraint. That's just the straight out of the thesaurus. God wants to unleash the power of the promise of the Holy Spirit on your life so that you can bear the fruit of the Spirit in a world that's so full of this fruit. The world is hungry for love. The world is hungry for joy. The world is hungry for peace. The world is hungry for patience. The world is hungry for kindness. The world is hungry for goodness. The world is hungry for faithfulness. The world is hungry for gentleness. The world is hungry for self-control. And God is with you everywhere, speaking to you all the time so you can walk in his power to bear the fruit that everybody around you is so desperately hungry for. So that through your life, 
Not the broken one that you gave God that you left in the grave last week. I'm talking about the new life where you were born again by the goodness of God, where the old passed away and the new has come. The life that he wants to now fill with the Holy Spirit. So through that life that God has given you by his grace, the world could taste the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the presence and the voice and the power of God. And the power also looks like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When the power of God is working through us, we begin to see the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit at length in the past, and there's messages you can go to. This isn't the comprehensive message on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This can be a contentious conversation in church. Have you ever noticed how contentious church can get? Side note. Because the reason this can get contentious is, is not really because of Super lame reasons. Sometimes it's lame when it's contentious, right? But, but honestly, it's because this is one of those things, that, that one of those topics, one of those things that we can get into. Um, and not everybody wants to talk about it. Honestly, like a lot of people have had some really weird experiences with people doing something weird and calling it God. And it's like, oh, well, if that's God, I don't want any of that. And the problem was it wasn't God in the first place. So now you think you don't want God, but what you really didn't want was just what that person did because that was weird because people are weird and you're weird and I'm weird. And we just need God. Everybody wants to talk in this whole conversation because of the pain, because of the sometimes lack of clarity, because when God moves, of course, it's outside of our box because of all of those things. We kind of have this desire that we really want to get clear on, okay, what's a gift and what isn't? Who has which one so that we know that when something happens, we for, for sure that it's God and nobody's doing anything weird. Which ones does God still give today and which ones does, not, does God not give today? Like we got to get all this thing straightened out. And that's what a lot of this conversation revolves around. But where I want to just go this morning is give you the bedrock of our theology on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's one verse. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's my theology on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That uh, God has given to each the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The promise of the Father is to clothe you in power so that you can manifest him to the world around you. Nothing in here suggests that you do anything to earn these gifts. I'm really encouraged about it. Nothing in here suggests that there's like a shelf life on the good news of the promise of the Father. Nothing in here uh, tells us that, that like the farther you get away from when the Bible was written, the less likely you are to get any of these gifts of the Holy Spirit. Nothing in here says anything about that there's, that there's quite a few gifts of the Holy Spirit then, but there's only a few for now because if you're spiritual enough and you earn them through with some like Holy Ghost brownie points and you can get some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but some of them aren't for today, but some of the ones are, but we can kind of get those if we do a good job. My Bible says to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what I'm trying to tell you is that God promises to put power on your life to show God to the world. It's the things that you're good at. It's the way that you walk with God. It's the way that you love people. It's the way, it's, it's the different situations that you find yourself in. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're like the things that you bring into the room when you walk in. 
It's the stuff about you that when you walk into the room, the unique things about you that your friends know about you because they benefit from it because they've been there a few times and they would just say, man, I'm really thankful that, you're, that you were with me through that whole thing. But what they're really saying is I'm thankful God was with me through you because by the spirit of God, he manifested himself to me when you were on the other end of that phone call, when you sent me that random text and I needed it so bad, when you were the hug when I was really down, when you encouraged me with that word that you shouldn't have never known, but you said it anyways and somebody walked across the room at church one time and told me something. I was like, that was weird, but oh my gosh, that got me good. It's this the manifestation of God for the common good. When you demonstrate God and it benefits the people around you, that's the gift of God on your life. You can't do that on your own. That only comes when God puts himself over you. And your gifts aren't just things that are listed specifically here, like these lists are starting points. It's the stuff about you that shows who God is and what he's really like when people need to know it so, much, so badly. And some of this stuff, like I said, we can get nervous because there's so much unknown when God moves. There's so much unknown when we talk about the Holy Spirit. There's so many different experiences from the backgrounds of different people. And like I said earlier, the biggest problem with people walking with God is people. <laughs> like, Sometimes I feel like I'm God's biggest problem with this whole plan, <laughs> you know? Like, and so, of course, we've messed some things. I've done some things, you know? And so that kind of gets all, like, tainted and weird, and we get hurt, and it's like, that was discouraging. And so how do we enter back into this conversation? There's some stuff that we can make really weird, but I, I want us to remember two kind of core principles under the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I've given you kind of our bedrock theology on the gifts of the Holy Spirit that to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And as we're working out these manifestations, like how many of you know I've got somewhere to grow, you know, and I'm not perfect. And like you can look at me and there's this exhibit A, like I don't have it all figured out. And so I'm growing because I want to, but I'm gonna like probably not do it perfectly all the time. And so if that's just me, maybe there's a few of you in here too that don't have it perfectly together either. So rather than say, let's just ignore the gifts, let's go after the gifts and create an environment where we can learn together. And there's a few principles that we're gonna have to have as a people if we're gonna have an environment like that. Number one, that we're gonna have to understand that spiritual gifts are meant to be functional and not fancy. Spiritual gifts are meant to be functional, not fancy. The Bible says that you have been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, not for your personal promotion. And as we are people who pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as we encourage each other in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as we hunger for more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, let's keep this truth front and center. We're all growing. We're all maturing. We're all on the same team. We're going to cheer each other on. And anytime we try to do something, we're going to try to do it with the best heart we possibly can, knowing that our motives are never going to be 100% pure. But I'm going to give it my best shot to do this for you instead of for me. So that way, even if I totally mess it up, hopefully you feel love that I tried for you. It gets weird when it was like, hey, let me use you as a platform for the thing that I think God wants to do with me so you can all look and cheer and then I do it wrong and it's like, why'd you use me to stand on top of for that thing? I wanna get under people and say, here, let's try to stand on my shoulders and let me try this. And it's like, even if that didn't work, at least you're still standing on my shoulders, <laughs> you know? It's for the common good. Our spiritual gifts are meant to be functional and not fancy and so that means we're not gonna get jealous of each other either. Leave it there. 
And if we keep in mind that the manifestation of the Spirit is for the common good and not personal promotion, we're gonna have to leave a lot of room and we're gonna have a lot of room if we can keep this in front of us to see God do amazing things in every one of our lives. If we can remember that this is for the common good, that these are functional and not fancy. And the last thing I wanna say here about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that we have to enter into all of this understanding that when the Almighty God fills little human beings with himself, something's gotta give. Don't expect everything to make perfect sense all the time when God moves. Don't get offended if things don't go the way you prefer or the way that you would understand them or even really the way that you're always comfortable with. Don't get turned off from God when something gets weird. Because I know that I said like sometimes we do things are weird that don't need to be weird. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Some things have to be weird. Like when God brought people out of the dead, it's weird. But I'll take it. Healing the blind, I'll take it. The random encouragement that goes through my mind for you and I just text you and you're like, you do not understand how badly I needed that. Heard a story just the other day. Somebody got a phone call from somebody else in church like, hey, I thought God said this. And he was like, and the guy who got the phone call was like, that's weird. That doesn't make any sense. Went to a meeting four hours later and the exact thing happened that the guy called him about earlier. And he was like, oh, okay, this would have shook me, but I'm good because God's clearly with me. It's weird. It didn't make any sense but it was still God. Something's gotta give. And I've seen God do a lot of weird things. And I wanna see God do a lot more weird things and a lot weirder, like more weirder things. I remember having a friend one time when we were in college, we were just starting to walk with God and, and we were just experiencing this life of, of, of going after the Holy Spirit, seeing the Holy Spirit through the Bible and saying, okay, God, fill me, whatever it takes. I, I wanna be used by you. And there was some weird stuff happening. And we were like, why is some of this weird stuff happening? And we were talking about it as friends. Like, sometimes I, like, have to shout. And sometimes we just all start laughing. And sometimes something happens. And it's kind of weird. Like, it's weird. Why is it so weird? And one of our friends, she was sitting there. And she said one of the most profoundly theological truths. And I, I need you to write it down. Because it's deep and it's complicated. And it's real long. But if you can stick with me, I think you're going to catch something. She said, I guess God's just really big. And we're just people. And we just all kind of looked at each other like, that actually makes a lot of sense. Weird is never the goal. Weird is never the goal. But we have to understand that getting more of God will cost us our normal. And I'm willing to pay the price. These are the things that God promises you when he clothes you with power. I wanna end with just a couple of minutes of talking about how. How do, how do we get baptized in the Holy Spirit? How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? There's two consistent themes around encounters with the Holy Spirit. As you read the book of Acts as the church is born and as you read through the rest of the New Testament and the, uh, the accounts of what happened as people started following Jesus and believing for this promise of the Father, there's two consistent themes around encounters with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not gonna talk about how everybody has to respond a certain way or you all have to get a certain gift. None of that's in there. What is in there is that number one, there's a consistent theme of hunger. There's always hunger when God clothes people with power. There's always a hunger. In Acts chapter two, Jesus had, had said, okay, I'm gonna send you the promise of the Father. Wait for it. And in Acts chapter two, before any of this happened, they didn't know what was expecting in verse one. It just says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were just waiting. They were waiting, which doesn't sound super spiritual, but they could have been doing other stuff. 
But they chose, I'm gonna put myself here and wait for whatever it is that God said was coming. I don't get it. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but I want it. And it was hunger that paved the way. It took them 10 days of sitting in a room not knowing what was gonna happen, but they were hungry. And God fills hunger. God fills hunger. We've gotta be hungry for more of God if we wanna see more of God in our life. I wanna encourage you, set your appetite towards the things of God, and he will not disappoint. And the second thing that's, that was common that's, that's always been common through the book of Acts, through church history. Number one, num- hunger. Number two, repentance. Number two, repentance. Also in Acts chapter two, after the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes these followers in the power of God, Peter gets up and he preaches a message to the whole city. And it says this. The, everybody listening, they said, brothers, what shall we do? They hear the gospel preached. what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise, for the promise, this promise of the Father, it is for you, and it is for your children, and it is for all who far off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. We've got to repent We've got to make room in our hearts. I was just walking around my neighborhood the other morning. I want you to just go ahead and stand up. That would make me close quicker. I'm walking around my neighborhood the other morning, and we have a drain in our neighborhood, a storm drain that's right outside my house. And we, have, we live on a circle, and we have the lowest part in the neighborhood. So we get everybody's water. And we also means we get everybody's grass clippings and dirt and branches and all that kind of stuff. And the drain is awesome. It's great. The only problem is it gets clogged every time it rains because when the water comes everybody's junk comes with it right and it clogs up the holes and so it'll flood our street and our driveway gets eaten up and the city I love them and so I always have to go out and I got to dig into the water and I got to pull out all this dirt and unclog the holes and then it's drained so quickly and I was the other morning walking around my neighborhood when it was raining and I walked past one of the other drains that is higher than mine and so it doesn't get as much water and I'm bitter about it but it was still clogged and I was like serves you right so when I was walking by, and since I do it in my drain all the time, I've kind of become OCD about all the drains. I just walked up and I took my shoe and I just kind of like pushed some of the dirt away. And the Lord said, that's it. God is moving. God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. The flow is not broken. Sometimes we just get clogged. And when we set our hunger towards God, see, it took two things for that drain to get unclogged. I had to decide I wanted the flow and I had to get everything else out of the way that was blocking it. And that's who we're gonna be. We're not pursuing a certain thing. We're not pursuing a certain manifestation. I don't need a certain manifestation. I want the whole manifestation of God. I don't know about you, but I'm living in a world that needs God, the whole thing. Not just this and that. Let's do the whole thing. And so as we close this morning, I'm just gonna pray for us and we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill our hearts. And I'm gonna ask that God would just come and highlight, Lord, is there anywhere in my life that I'm not hungry for you? Is there anything that I'm holding back? Is there anything I need to repent of? Is there anything clogging the flow? I've been asking God for you to move, but I haven't been willing to put aside the thing that's clogging you. We're gonna have some of our prayer team off to the side of the room like we always do. And this is just such an amazing opportunity for you to get the prayer that you need. It's not because people are perfect. It's just because we need help. And these people wanna hear God with you and pray for you. If, If there's something you need to repent of, so much of the power of repentance is just in saying it out loud. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, it's bad, but it's not powerful. I'm telling you, 
There's no shame. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Jesus has died for the forgiveness of sins, for the repentance of the nations, and he wants to pour out the promise of the Father on you right now and fill you with himself. So we're just gonna pray and say, God, would you bring to mind anything I need to be hungry for, anything I need to repent of? And if you're here this morning, you've never first given your life to Jesus, this is the perfect time to do it. I wanna encourage you just to believe in your heart as we worship that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins and he wants to give you new life. Would encourage you to talk with a friend that you came with or go talk with somebody off to the side if that's you. Let's just make space for God to do what only he can do in these few minutes together as we respond. Lord, we welcome you, Jesus. And we thank you that you have said that you will send us the promise of the Father. We thank you so much, Holy Spirit, for how we, we already, so many of us know you and the things we've experienced. But God, I just want to say right now, You've leveled the playing field, that every single one of us has the same response right here, right now, and that is, Lord, I want more. I want more, Lord, and I'm willing to put aside the things that need to be put aside, the distractions, the sin, the shame, the embarrassment, the agenda, the opinions, the preferences, Lord, I want to put it aside because I need you, and the world needs you, and we want to manifest you to the world around us. We thank you, Lord, that this morning we step into a promise that is for everywhere, that we have nothing to do to get you moving. We just need to surrender so you can move us. And so would you come right now, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and move us in the name of Jesus, amen.